I'll be home for Christmas You can plan on me Please have snow And mistletoe And presents on the tree Christmas Eve will find me Hello, and welcome to a long, long overdue, brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. Uh, I am Tim Elliott, and as as always, my partner in crime uh, is with me, Brian Sugarlips. Uh, uh, Sugarlips? <laughs> what? I couldn't get through that. I couldn't get through it. <laughs> Merry, Merry Christmas! <laughs> I I took that. There's a Stanley used to call Gil Kane Sugarlips on some of the issues of the Hulk's the ones I'm thinking of. And that kind of stuck with me, so I've always... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Sugar Lips means something else today. I don't know what it meant back then, but it definitely means something else today. <laughs> All right, well, think it, just think of that comment with a 1960s uh, twist to it. Don't is think it, any dirty thoughts. Is this commentary on the whole baby it's cold outside thing going on? Uh, don't get me started on that. Oh, no, no, no. Look, look. I'll say it like this. That song is a simple flirtation, you know? Mm-hmm. It's nothing. When she says, did you put something in my drink, that's simply her saying, you've got a spell on me. How attracted she is to him. It's nothing nefarious, you know? I, I find nothing wrong with that song. It is flirtation at its finest. It is timing and tempo. It's the, 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 the rhythm of a relationship. Yeah, it's no... I mean, here's the thing. If, you, if you're if you looking to find fault with something, you can find fault Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Ugh. Okay. Enough fussing and growls. Merry it, Christmas. How are oh, you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, you know, it's it's been so long since we've done this because of... You know, this life gets in the way, and it's hard to plan things out. But uh, just, I've been mainly just working, just working and working and walking the dog, and that's been and playing Skyrim. I've been playing a lot of Skyrim, but um, you can you have time to play games? Uh, yeah, I have to try to. I have to basically on a weekend and kind of play, uh, just kind of sometimes you play all night. You know, when when Fanula and the rest of Fanula and the dogs kind of bed. But um, I got I got I got. I got yelled at the other day, a couple weeks ago, I was playing, and it was a Friday, I think, or a Saturday, and I was playing, and that game's so addictive, and once you start playing it, you just want to play for hours, so I was up till four mm-hmm. in the morning playing it. She wakes up and kind of comes in, and it's like, what are you doing? You know, are you still playing this game? I said, yeah, just, it's four in the morning. I said, <laughs> it's Friday, why do you, why, you know, why do you care, you know? Just, okay, and then she went back to bed, so, you know. <laughs> you know, it's funny, because, you know, over the summer... Um, we got to, you know, join my son playing Fortnite, which is a first person shooter game, free for all kind of a battle royale sort of thing. And, um, you know, we played a lot of it. I mean, we, all three of us were just into it and we were teaming up and going and doing, doing our thing, having a lot of fun with it. And then as my son got back into school and he's really, uh, dedicated himself to getting really good grades, he's really busting his hump right now on it 
Um, he had not played a whole lot of the game until the week of Thanksgiving. Um, he get, he gets the whole week off. So he did a little gaming there. And um, so he'd been playing some over the weekends. And so they, they had the release of a new season of, of the game, season seven, uh, just within the last week. And so we all got on just to see what it looked like. And it's really, really awesome. They actually thrown in biplanes that you can fly and shoot each other down with. Interesting. It, it's, it's really cool. It's, a, it's actually a free game to download um, on Epic Games. If you've got a PC, Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo Switch, Xbox, you know, any of the, ga- the current gaming consoles can play it. And uh, if you've got a good PC, it can play it. It's a lot of fun. I mean, some, it's just mindless, you know, killing each other while, until the clock runs down. Oh. You know, well, I, I saw it, I saw it on Facebook, or I saw it on, I saw somewhere yeah. that the game was sending. I guess it was so addictive it was sending kids to game rehab. <laughs> I don't know if there's any truth to that, but well, again, if you try to find the bad in anything, you're going to find yeah. it. And and then you know, with as with anything, and I'll say this about any subject. Let's talk, you know, serial killers or uh, pedophiles or anything that is extremely bad. The only reason why you're seeing more of it right now is that the population has increased so much and concentrated so much into high metropolitan areas. You mm-hmm. and I are in a very large metropolitan area here in, in Texas. In yep. the DFW Metroplex, there are millions of people here. And when you've got that kind of, you know, <clears throat> all of it just gravitating together, you're going to get everything. You're going to get the great people, but you're going to get the freaks too. <laughs> in, in in high numbers. When you have a game like this that millions and millions of people are playing, you're going to have people getting addicted to it, but you're also going to have a lot of people that can simply put it away and go back outside. And that's well, yeah, yeah, you can get addicted to anything. I mean, that's um, that's just, I don't know, that's just kind of sensationalism. Yeah, um, this is true. You know what? I heard um, that there's this guy that used to draw comic books and his name is John Byrne. I've heard of him, yeah. He's done a yeah. few things. Done a few things. A few things. And and our last couple shows focused on his latest activities. Which of course, uh, if you've you know, any of our listeners here are not aware of this, that's because they've never listened to this show before. Uh, John Byrne has, of course, been uh, working on uh, his own self-driven project, an X-Men Elsewhere story of his own, where he picks up with the X-Men after the offense of the Dark Phoenix saga with the caveat that Jean did not die, but was instead um, her power was neutered. Her brain was, uh, what do you want to call it, Uh, lobotomized. Yeah. Uh, so that she is no longer uh, Marvel Girl or Phoenix or anything. She's actually got the intellect of a, about a five-year-old girl. And she is not the focus of the story. The focus of the story is the X-Men, just like Byrne was doing back in the day. He's picked up from that point, and he's moving on with the story, but he's doing it as though it's modern day. So it's taking place in this world with this the fashions of today, and you're seeing the X-Men the way you love to see him, the way he draws them. And uh, he has put together probably five issues at this point on his own. Um, He's been talking somewhat with Marvel. Uh, C.B. Stavolsky was supposed to get the ball rolling on it, but we haven't heard anything official yet. But Byrne has got 
like 12 issues plotted out. We've talked about the the first, what, 20 pages? That first issue, yeah. Yeah, that and, first issue, yeah, it was 20 pages, a nice circular story. Yeah, and... And, yeah. and he had mentioned, when, when I saw him in Boston mm-hmm. uh, earlier this year, he did mention that he had been approached by Marvel and kind of asked, so it may just be a matter of ironing out all of the... Uh, he seemed willing to do it, so uh, it just may be a matter of ironing out the... Uh, well, he's going to do it one way or the other. The, the, the fact right. of the matter is, is that this was helping him scratch an itch. And, and if you don't realize it, the thing that Byrne is doing while doing this is that he is going back in so many ways. He's gone back into an older style of artwork that he did. It is not drawn the way that he did his Star Trek stories or Angel or you know anything that was more recently done. He's gone back to the way he drew when he had inkers like Terry Austin and, you know, Bob Wyatchek and the others working with him. So he, what he's found is that he's found his joy kind of in, in doing this. He also finds some frustration when um, he has to cover things that he doesn't want to. He seems to get a little bit of writer's block. Yeah. Is but he, he has still, to do that to get the story still releasing these pages, these pencils he, on his... He, He's released a couple pages, not as often as he was doing before, and they're a lot more random. There's a beautiful one in the Avengers Mansion. You see the Scarlet Witch in her classic costume coming down the stairs and going to talk to Jarvis, and then a sentinel breaks in through the wall. And it's just stunning. It's just awesome. And uh, I released another one uh, I put out on um, our Facebook page and in the Two True Freaks Cantina. Uh, one where the Blackbird lands and the X Men all pop out, yeah, and saw uh, that Cyclops one. is yeah, Cyclops is uh, very alert up up about something. Um, and of course, that was a gorgeous, gorgeous page. I mean, they've all been pretty darn gorgeous, and it just makes you wonder what is it that he's doing? What what story is he telling? Because we've seen Modok, now we've seen a Sentinel, we've seen, of course, Sauron. And Carl Lycos. We've seen the Savage Land. We've seen what looks to be Washington, D.C. There's a lot going on here, and he's got multiple stories already in the hopper. Whether it's all in his head or it's already done on paper, we don't know. Uh, there's, of course, the caveat that if he sits there and writes and draws all this out, and then Marvel you know, contracts him to do something, he may not be able to use any of it because they won't take a story on spec. And he may have to redo it all over or repurpose it differently than what he's using it for now. That's true. And it already looks like it's going to happen with those first 20 pages, which is why I think he's not posting pages more often, that he's being a little bit more judicious about what he's throwing out there. What's really interesting, though, is that there are a number of people going out there, pulling these pages down because he's got them on his uh, page in kind of a not the non-repro blue. And they're inking these things, in there. and there are some people that are coming back with truly good stuff. Yeah, I've seen some of those that people are kind of inking themselves. And Byrne has gone on record saying that he is not going to ink this. He is penciling it for somebody else to ink. And that is, you know, he's actually spoken of the difference between how he did artwork back then before he did all penciling and inking himself and after. Because when he did, you know, uh, pencils with somebody else's inker, he usually put out some pretty tight pencils. And when I say tight pencils, that means the entire page is penciled so that 
you've got your all your foliage and you've got all the details and everything all around and there's very little background that isn't filled in. And you know, he's making sure he's given the anchor everything that they need to know to interpret the page. Whereas later when he was doing Fantastic Four and he was doing the penciling and inking chores, he would pencil so much and then he would ink much you know much more yeah he, he mentioned sense. that i think when during their the uh the little uh q a we had with him in boston mm-hmm. that he would almost do their more more akin to like breakdowns because yeah. he's, he's got to go back over it you know it's not like uh when he's like you said when he's doing tight pencils because somebody else is inking it he wants to make sure he they they know exactly he doesn't, doesn't want them probably to interpret what he's right. doing but when he's doing his own stuff, he can just he could um, he just kind of do rough outlines or rough layouts, and mm-hmm. then go back in and ink it himself. That's probably why it does look a little it looks a little different. Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is that he was talking about like things like the high detail areas where you see the foliage in the Savage Land, and and you know the heavy detail on on certain figures. He just said that it it doesn't. I mean, it's not like it's a hard thing to do. It just flows off the pencil. It's sheer creation just happening right there in front of him where he doesn't, you know, he's not even thinking about it. It's just happening. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's the, the, the one of the great stories of, of creation, you know, when someone is, is doing something or it's like when you're a writer and you're writing a story and you're writing all your characters to do this. And all of a sudden this other character comes in and sa- says to you, hey, let me do this. And I'm talking about um, Babylon 5. I don't know if you're familiar with that show. Mm-hmm. And um, when when they killed the uh, – spoilers, 25-year-old uh, show. Um, when they killed the emperor, the, the Centauri emperor, it was supposed to be Londo to do it. And then all of a sudden, uh, J. Michael Straczynski said as he was writing it, Veer came to him and said, no, let me do this. The character told him in his head, "No, let me do this. I should do this." Yeah, Stephen King. Stephen King has mentioned that that a lot of times a character will take over. Yeah, and which sounds silly, but no, it, it, it's possible. I, it, it, make, it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I, I've had my times at writing. I've written a number of of stories and short stories, and I've got something I'm working on. Uh, a couple things I'm working on right now that are just taking off on me, and I'm just like, "Wow, how's this happening?" So I, I understand this completely. But I, I always thought that that was like the best example of that kind of creation to have that character speak up to someone in their mind. I'm sure it works with artwork too. I mean, you're you're, you're you've got a blank page. You have kind of an idea of what you want to do. You're starting to work on it, but you're you're not locked into whatever you've got in your head, and it starts to evolve as your pencil hits the paper, and suddenly, hey, here's something. Or maybe you're drawing this, and then it just spins you in a totally different area. Or a different direction, so it does. It, it, it's your creativity is constantly. It's not like, oh, this is what I want to do, and suddenly you stop being creative. You're constantly uh, coming up with new ideas as you're doing it. You know, so it's a constant. Like you said, it's a constant process. Yeah. Now I'll, I'll say this. I mean, this is an exciting time. This comes out. If this gets released, we need to tell every one of our friends, our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, every person you know that even. Th- thinks that there's something interesting about a comic book that they need to go and buy 10 copies of this when it comes out let the comic book industry know what we really care about 
Burns always had that built-in audience, and that audience has waned over the years. Of course, they've shrunk, and then, of course, withered off almost to nothing as he went to IDW. But and, and that's because, you know, the material that he's working on is not in the sandbox that everybody wants to see him in. They want to see him in the Marvel or DC sandbox. And if they can see him in the X-Men sandbox, holy cow. Yeah, I'm just afraid that the first issue will sell like gangbusters and then it'll it'll kind of taper off because uh, people are wanting to see, you know, oh, it's burned to an X-Men again. I got to buy this. So but to your point, I hope it, it sells well enough that he will have other opportunities that if they will let him kind of tell his story without a lot of editorial interference. He'll and that's continue, the whole he'll point continue, of this. He'll continue to do it. I mean, that's the whole point of this Elswin. I mean, he can do anything he wants in this because he's basically in his own universe. Yeah. So, I think, yeah, I, think, I mean... I think it'd be great if he did, instead of doing continuing series, what if he did kind of like the New Vision Star Trek, which I'm glad that's not going away. That'll still just going to come out more on a... Um, well, there's there's some more news in that regard. Oh, okay. um, Chris Rael is now back at IDW. He is now the head honcho there. So the Burn Whisperer is back in a position to keep, you know, to keep, keep Burn productive there. Yeah. Well, Burn and said so, himself he wanted to keep doing it. It was just going to be in more of a uh, special edition type. It wasn't going to be continuing uh, right. series. But what if he did, I mean, instead of a continuing, say, instead of a, a, a monthly sh- a book, mm-hmm. I mean, if he did like a big, like the old uh, Marvel graphic novels kind of like his she-hulk novel yeah the big dogs format i mean what if he did like four of those a year so he has more time to work on it and they're kind of one and dones and he could tell kind of whatever story he wanted to and that sound that sounds pretty smart and i think that's what he was planning on doing was uh is is that turning those you know basically he's now gone from episodes to movies mm-hmm. not that he's going to put them in the monster maroons or anything but uh, it's it's just a matter of time to see what's what what's going to happen, and I mean he's going to be as creative as he wants to be now that he it looks like he actually has a choice, um, whether you know whether he's going to sit there and work for more than one company at a time. But I don't see any reason why he couldn't. I don't I don't either. I mean, the 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 issue we're fixed, we're going to cover tonight. He was he had stuff coming out from Marvel and DC the same month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I mean, we just passed his, what, 68th birthday? That being said, you brought up a subject, an interesting subject, and what was that subject? She-Hulk. 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 That's what we're going to talk about tonight, isn't it? Uh, that's what I uh, I have my notes on. I hope that's what you have your notes on. <laughs> yes, uh, She-Hulk, uh, sensational She-Hulk number 36. That's, that's, the one, that's the one you're talking about, right? The Correct, or- the, the special holiday Christmas. Yeah. I was afraid you were going to go all the way back to number eight. No, 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 no. That's why I, I checked with you last night. I kind of <laughs> read that one because I know these kind of tie in together. Loosely. Yes, they do. But uh, it's interesting once we go through this because I've got some – I had some, some int- really interesting reactions to this because I haven't read this since it came out in, in the newsstand back in 91. Yeah, well, you know, I, I read it, of course, back then. And um, <clears throat> I read it again, you know, very recently, a couple times, in fact. It wasn't until I started doing a look around on the web that I started realizing just how polarizing this is. And it's polarizing for one very particular reason. And we'll get into that once we finish the story. Right now, I think we should uh, play a promo. Let me get a drink of water and uh, we'll come right back with She-Hulk number 36. All right. All right. We'll see you here in two and two. 
And we're back. Yes, we are. And like I said, we're going to cover Sensational She-Hulk number 36. Uh, the, The book is titled Plastic Snow and Mistletoe. And it's got a cover date of uh, February 1982. I didn't see what the on-shelf date was. So. Sale date was 12-3-91. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. So the uh, writer, of course, is John Byrne. The penciler is John Byrne. The cover artist is John Byrne. Anchor is Keith Williams. Uh, colorists are actually two colorists uh, credited here. One is uh, Marie Javins, and the other, of course, is Glennis Oliver. Letterer Jim Novak. Editors Renee Witterstatter, which uh, we got to meet a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. It's been almost a year. And, uh, of course, editor-in-chief at the time is Tom DeFalco. <clears throat> and like I said, the title of the, of, the, of the story is Plastic Snow and Mistletoe, and it almost makes me break into song. <laughs> So, I mean, for me, the subtitle of this is She-Hulk and Wheezy Go Out West, A Road Trip with No Road. Um, And, of course, uh, one of the... the, Now, for the sake of this synopsis, I'll say this. I refer to She-Hulk as Jen, and I refer to uh, Wheezy as Wheezy. But I'll I'll go back and forth on She-Hulk, referring to her as Jen and She-Hulk. The story opens up with Jen and Wheezy on their way to California meeting up with Wyatt Wingfoot along the way so that She-Hulk can expose about continuity and gloss over the She-Hulk ceremony story. Meanwhile, on Mount Olympus, Venus, the goddess, goddess of love, presents her son Eros, not Star Fox, just a guy with the same name, a god. <laughs> <clears throat> you might know him as Cupid. Uh, she presents him with the unique challenge of being a future subplot in She-Hulk's comic. Back to the main story, though. Jen and Wheezy say their goodbyes to Wyatt, though she all promises to pick him back up on her way to back to New York. This reminds me so much of like the Mr. Microphone commercials. <laughs> hey, babe, we'll be back to pick you up later. Anyway, <laughs> Jen and Wheezy spend some more time talking about the goings on of the comic world while finishing, finishing their trip to Cali in Jen's flying car that she got all the way back in, I think, issue seven. Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going. We don't need roads. Uh, that space journey that she had with the space yeah, trucker. I guy. think it was seven. Yeah. They arrive at She-Hulk's father's neighborhood to see the yards covered in snow. This is California, okay? It's not real snow. It's the plastic stuff like they used in Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> okay? Now, She-Hulk's father, Morris, we'll call him Mo. Not that Mo. Hey, Mo! Uh, comes out to greet them, and after a big hug from Jen, Mo meets Wheezy, and the two of them appear to hit it, really hit it off. This is not surprising. She's actually older than him, but has a smoking 20-something bod. Uh, because, like all blonde women in John Byrne comics, she somehow got revitalized. I got a, I got a question for that once we get yeah, past okay. this. So after introductions are done, Mo tries to introduce Wheezy to the uh, rest of She-Hulk's family. You know, all of her many brothers and sisters that she doesn't actually have. Uh, She-Hulk pulls out the Marvel Universe Master Edition, reminds Byrne that she doesn't have brothers and sisters, and kicks all the Insta family out the door. She then makes Byrne transition to Christmas Eve. Let's get the story going. 
Cut to the unrealistic ritual of trimming a Christmas tree on Christmas Eve. I mean, no one does that that late, really. They do, only, Except, only in the movies do people do that. In TV movies, shows. movies and TV shows, yeah, they trim the tree on Christmas Eve. We all do it the day after Thanksgiving, am I right? <laughs> we did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Jen starts to notice that something is on her father's mind, but she's interrupted by the arrival of an old friend. Zapper Ridge, uh, also known as Daniel Ridge Jr. Now, he is a friend of She-Hulk, so actually an ex-boyfriend, going all the way back to Savage She-Hulk issue number two. And he was some sort of doctor, but he just never seemed like a doctor to me. <laughs> and Zapper gets to introduce She-Hulk to his bride, who happens to be a non-green duplicate of She-Hulk. A non-green Latina duplicate of She-Hulk. Is she supposed to be Latina? Uh, yeah, I mean, she's got a, a very... Uh, Hispanic name. True. Okay, so the next person, of course, that uh, she comes across is Richard Rory, also known as the comic book version of Steve Gerber from the Man-Thing comics. If you ever read the Man-Thing comics, Richard Rory was Steve Gerber's version of himself. Oh, okay. He's sporting that uh, Johnny Storm haircut from FF. Well, I mean, as is common in comics, he someone died and left him millions, so he's like all <laughs> Giorgio Dart out, and he's got you know got his image specialist styling him. So uh, I don't know why, but that seems to be important in comics. Uh, She-Hulk and friends come inside the house to find Wheezy and Mo kissing under the mistletoe. No big surprise there. Uh, and then they all sit down to a nice Christmas dinner. Wheezy gets up in the middle of the night for a snack, but finds Mo in the living room. Mo tells Wheezy he misses the Jen Walters that was his daughter, the one Jen that cannot be that Jen cannot be since her radioactive cockroach bath in the sensational She-Hulk graphic novel. See our what, what was that third episode or fourth episode? Brian and I covered the She-Hulk graphic novel in our third degree burn episode number six. So please stop listening to this podcast. Download that one, listen to it, then come back to listen to this one. We had a guest star on that that episode, um, yeah. Dave Elliott, so that was that's a pretty Dave good show. Elliott. No relation, right? No relation. No relation, okay. Uh, Jenny drops on and hears all of this. Uh, she then goes back to her room and starts to cry. Wheezy tries to tell her what is it, what uh, uh, has upset her father, but Jen... You know, lets her know that she understands. She remembers the gift given to her by Santa way back in issue number eight. Pulls it out of her pocket. That That's one enchantment of the gift that you can pull it out of any pocket. Jen makes her wish and goes out to see her father transformed for Christmas only to her human form as Jennifer Walters. She asks her father to help put out milk and cookies for Santa. She really wants to reward him this time. <laughs> the end. Now, this was a, a non-action story. It was a very unusual slice of life so to speak um but it it, you know the thing is back at the time when i originally read it i remember getting that really really warm feeling from it it's it's a nice little story it's it's a little sentimental but Mm -hmm. it's it's earnest and it is a a nice kind of sweet little uh holiday uh story it's quick i mean this is a quick yeah um, like as you said i think the synopsis and the wiki takes longer yeah. to read than this issue this is a cool yeah. quick read it, yeah yeah actually uh it, this was uh like really 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 quick now i did as i was sitting there looking through it i i was thinking about the artwork and the fact that keith williams was doing the inks when you when you sit there and you uh, well let's take a look at the the front cover 
and I think the front cover is just all all burn, all 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 burn, no uh, no inks by uh, Keith Williams, uh, which is just uh, a desktop with uh, an answering machine, and you see a red bat phone there, and uh, Jen Walter, a picture of Jen Walters and her father on the on the cover there, and he's got a little bit of spit curl there. And the answering machine, of course, is saying why that you know they've gone to California to spend holidays with your dad. Leave a message, sound of the beep. And for those of you that don't know what that is, an answering machine—that's what we had before our cell phones had voicemail. They had things that were <clears throat> called cassettes in them. Yeah, but you know, I I used to have a, an answering machine that did this great beep, this beep that would that as it picked the phone, it'd make this beep, and it would cause telemarketing robocallers to hang up. And remove you from their list. You know, well, that's the computer cool. Rubble. Yeah, that's... yeah, but yeah, but uh, I mean, I don't have a landline anymore, so I don't have any way of attaching that that to uh, any of my phones now. Uh, but man, uh... if I could, if I had that now. I mean, because nobody, but nobody would call my landline anymore after you know, like six months of that. It just seemed to, to kill all those. Okay, so um, a very mundane front cover. We do see John Burns initials. If you look down at the bottom. On that pencil, you see he's got oh, JB, JB, yeah. JB there next to the, what, what is that, yeah, Underwriters Limited mark. Um, and then a note to the housekeeper, water plants. Well, it's funny with that JB because pencils come in and he would know this, you know, you can get pencils in different hardnesses. Yes. And they come in H or Bs. And depending on how, uh, I think a standard like Eberhard Faber pencil, like a school pencil is, I think, uh, a B. But you get is like that, a triple. Is that the number two pencil? That like we, a number two pencil, correct. I think that's like yeah. a B, which is like a medium lead. You can get a triple H, which is, I've used as a school, it's so hard, it's like like drawing with a nail. Or you can get like a triple B, which is like writing with, drawing with a crayon. So, wow. That's a nice little play on. Uh, I didn't catch that. I was too busy looking at telling her housekeeper to water the plants. <laughs> yeah, and then of course that old Southwestern Bell uh, desktop phone. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you can't see on it to see if it's rotary or push button. But I'll tell you that that phone handle right there, that's indestructible. You could beat somebody upside the head with that and just cave it in. You've got one. I've got an old Blackwood version I found <clears throat> that still functions. And we've oh, got yeah. a, a, an old wall phone that's a, that's a avocado green. That's well, you in know, if, kitchen. If, if you've never set your home phone to, like, internet phone or cable phone, and it still has a connection to the regular phone line, even though you don't have a phone service, you can still use it to call nine one one. Hmm. So you could always put one of those on there, and then you'd always have a nine one one line there at home. Oh, did not, I did not know that. And that that of course is regular nine one one local service, not the ones that you have to go through on the cell phone where it gets transferred. Yeah. So hey, you learned something new. Yeah. All right. Well, let me ask you this: You think I did I did on that front cover? I didn't. For some reason, I thought. It makes sense that that's that's her, that's Jennifer. Right. For right. some reason, I read, I looked at that and thought that were her parents. I know her mom is passed, but I thought, well, maybe that's her parents, and that's why she'd have a picture of it. But it makes sense for the context of the story that that would be her and her dad, not her parents. Yeah. Did you notice something else about the cover? And then it's got the little under the marble thing. It's got Santa. Yeah, it's got. That's a clip Santa. from. I think that's a clip. From issue eight, where he's putting the uh, present in her pocket. Ah, yeah, that's uh, yeah the corner logo, where you normally just see the the face or the head of someone. It's got Santa. It looks like he's hanging off of her almost, doesn't it? 
but yeah, he's just slipping the, the gift in her pocket there. Hmm. And then a very ugly wallpaper. Yeah, I don't know what that 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 looks like. That looks like uh, uh, uh who is it? Madcap looks like his pants. Yeah, he have striped yes. pants. Oh my gosh! Yes, yes. All right, so let's go on inside. Now I'm looking at a really really good digital copy here, so the coloring is all correct and everything. Um, are you looking at a digital copy or do you have a, a print copy or it's what? A, it's a digital, so I'm sure it's been it's been touched up. Uh, it's it's very bright the one I have. It's very bright, very saturated to a point where I've got a note that I think white wing foot wing foot looks a little too red. Hmm. I mean, I, I, supposed to I be... mean, she's always been colored. I mean, I mean, when I sit there and think about you know his appearances in the Fantastic Four, uh, at least during the Burn era, um, that that they always had him this kind of red. So I, it didn't it didn't surprise me. I mean, seeing him, seeing the desert there behind him, and him colored as is, it makes me think of that one issue with the giant um, slug uh, robot. Not not robot. But we'll, I forget what they called him. Terminus he, or Terminus? Yeah, Terminus. Uh, Terminus. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It was Terminus. Yeah. But you see Wyatt in his nice little Native American uh, jacket with all the fringe hanging off of it. Makes me think of Fonzie back in Happy <laughs> Days when he was singing, uh, calling out to Jennifer. I mean, just a nice big splash page. If you like Wyatt Wingfoot, this page is your page. It's a nice kind of in-your-face kind of 3D, except uh, I don't know why, but Byrne looked like he was having trouble with his hands. Uh, his right hand looks almost like the fingers are broken, and the thumbs look like they're too far back on the hand. It just doesn't look right, you know? Mm, yeah, the 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 one that I'm looking at on the left, you see how it almost go- he's got it right at the edge of the frame? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it makes me think of Cross from the uh, Ant-Man story he did Marvel premiere. Yeah. Um, but that's uh, again part of the coloring and and it, all that's going into. It. That's not that's, that's not bothering me because I've seen Byrne trying to do a lot of things with people's hands, and I get the idea that he is looking at at modeling and other things that people do. So probably I'd, I'd say it's more anatomically correct than we expect. It just looks odd. It just looks because it's not yeah, exactly. It's not drawn. Yeah. Uh, and to me, hands are the one thing that when they're wrong, it just it's just like so glaringly that it's wrong. It's the one thing that when they're done wrong, they're wrong. You know. And yet people complain about Rob Liefeld's drawing of feet. Well, that's just you know, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing to critique there. He doesn't draw anything. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Um, anyway, I, I tell you though, I I found this page to be colored. Uh, the coloring on it is not up to snuff, especially if you look around the fringe and everything. It, it almost looks like they just took a magic marker or a Sharpie or something and, and, and colored and tried to stay in the lines and failed a little bit. I, I didn't really have too much trouble with the coloring other than it being just a little oversaturated. But I think that's that's a common uh, issue with these digital, uh, yeah. when you're looking at a digital copy instead of the actual. be interesting to pull this out and look at it and see what it looks like when it was off the newsstand. I would like to see the. Um, I mean, don't they have the She-Hulk omnibus of all the all the burn stuff put together out yet? I don't know. Do they have one of? of uh, I have to look. I have to look and see. I'm, but, su- I'm uh, surprised they don't. But now uh, we get we we do get a surprise though because if you go to the next page, it is another splash page. Oh, you're talking about where he's she's kissing him? Yeah, she's yeah. got him lifted up, and this this reminds me, and I'm trying to remember if it's. I think it's a She-Hulk graphic novel where she lifted him up mm-hmm. like that when he was in the tux. Yeah. I think. She does that a lot. She picks him up. Yeah. 
And so it's a very similar scene. And then there's that rock behind him that almost looks like Shatner's going to be fighting on it. Um, <laughs> sort of like, uh, yeah, Vasquez rocks. Yeah. And Wheezy's got a very, I mean, I don't know if, if she dressed this way because she knew she was going to, they're in Arizona, right? Is that where they stopped at? Yeah. Uh, they don't. They don't actually say. That's they that's don't? the thing here is that they don't actually say what state it's in because it's always been ambiguous about where it actually is. Okay, but it's it's Arizona. I, mean, I guess it could be Utah. It could be anyway. She's mm-hmm. got a very western outfit on, considering that they are just stopping by to see Wyatt on their way to L.A. Yeah, to see her dad. But I guess that makes sense. You know, now that she's kind of been uh, rejuvenated, and that's when I'm bringing my point. Because I, I, I don't remember, I didn't remember that happening in the book. So I went back, did a little research, and read the issues where, you know, it's during the the story with the mole man, and she falls in the big liquid. She, Jin calls it diamond glop, but some kind yeah. of liquid stuff that supposedly will bring out whatever your inner beauty is. So that's how she gets rejuvenated. Because we haven't mentioned that she is the blonde phantom. Is that correct? Uh, no. Uh, wait a minute. See, this is this is the thing that that after all these years is starting to blur me because, and, and this is this is one thing that Byrne had done because in Namor, he had already also rejuvenated uh, a World War II hero, um, one of the invaders. Wasn't she? Wasn't she one of the? She was retired, but she was the blonde Phantom, and she right was kind of like part of the All Star Squad. Is that is that Marvel? Yeah. yeah, and that was in Namor. That was in Namor when they were fighting against the the Fenris, not the Fenris twins. Um, yeah, I guess it would be the Fenris twins. And yeah. and she and she got rejuvenated uh, in the Namor book, which is it's after this, right? It takes place after the She Hulk. Um, no, well, Namor yeah. twenty three came at the same time this issue did. Okay, so yeah, it actually came out. It would happen right around the same time then. Yeah, Ooh. she was supposedly in. The, if you read that. And if you read the wiki page and if you read the story where it happens, yeah. she was maybe she was in her late 60s, you know, at work mm-hmm. as a secretary. And then she gets rejuvenated to, they say, like a 40 something, which is yeah. the age she was as a blonde phantom. Well, here she looks, as you say, she looks like she's a she's like 20 something. Yeah, 20 something. Yeah. yeah, that's. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> if you look down at the credits, of course, you see that, you know, um, Renee Witterstedt's name is so long that she pushes Tom DeFalco, DeFalco up, up in the corner. The- yeah. <laughs> but uh, also reminded that Keith Williams is credited as the anchor. But if I remember right, Keith Williams was only inking the backgrounds. Byrne would actually draw and ink the characters himself. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I mean... I, I believe you let Keith do more and more as time went on because they started working together, I think, on the Hulk. You know, that five-issue run on the mm-hmm. Hulk, I think was, they started working together. And he followed him to D.C. when he was on Superman. And he would show up from time to time there. And then back here. And this is after Superman, right? Uh, correct. Yeah, yes. Yeah, this is 90... Yeah, 92. Yeah, it was well 92. This Superman. is when he came back. Because uh, uh, he, he did... I wrote that down. He did. I, did, I didn't even pull up the chronology this time to see what else uh, he'd done. Hold on a second. He did Namor 23, which is where mm-hmm. Iron Fist, it's uh, it's, the story's called, I think, Like a Thing of Iron. Yeah, now, doesn't that Iron Fist story remind you of when Jean Grey came back in Fantastic mm-hmm. Four? Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, he okay. Did, <laughs> o- Obat, o- yeah, Omac number four came out, so he's finishing wow. up that for DC. 
and yeah. he was scripter on X Men two eighty five. So he was oh, busy. that's right. Yeah, he was, he was busy. very busy. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I mean that second, you know, uh, splash page is just. I mean, it's 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 great art. The action is simple. A nice big kiss from the She Hulk. Yeah. And everybody in very stylish clothes, except for Wyatt Wingfoot, who. Well, everybody's he's a little, and I've seen this with Byrne. He does this with her a lot. He he poses her when she's kind of strutting, and you get like a full stride with her, and both her legs yeah. are straight. So. Kind of, I get the same uh, thing, the, the same feel with Wyatt because his legs are kind of straight. So, you know, Byrne does a little. Sometimes his his poses can look a little stiff. I see. I didn't think that here, and, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, you watched the the Matrix, right? Mm-hmm. There's a scene uh, at the near the end of the Matrix when uh, Neo comes up with the helicopter. He's got the minigun, and he's shooting into the building to to free Morpheus. And Agent Smith is the, is the one back there at the by Morpheus, and Neo shoots him, and his legs come out just like Wyatt's are here. Someone has been swept off their feet. And, and, yeah, and I understand what in Agent what Smith's case it was the bullets, but this is this is what the feet do when they get lifted up um, unexpectedly. Yeah, I can understand what he's doing. It just he just and there are there are uh, examples of this later when you see her. That's just something he likes to do. Her kind of striding off. Either out of frame or into frame, just, just yeah. seems like it gives her a sense of urgency, I guess. And stretching the skirt, exactly. It's that's, yeah, to that's another the skirt. Yeah. That's another thing. Yeah, he's always has her yeah. little mini skirts. I do like the little design there on on her on the boots, Wheezy's boots, at yeah. the tops of them. That reminds me of the old burn work, but it's not as finely detailed. No, it's kind of a scribble. It, but that's, it, it, well, it it reminds me of the flexographic coloring that was done just a couple years before. How it muddied that kind of stuff mm-hmm. up. Isn't that so the stuff they bought from Malibu? That flexographic was why they bought Malibu. Yeah, but it, the thing was, is that they it was so off that like all the issues of the Hulk were printed flexographically, and most of them were off by just a like an, a an, a sixteenth of an inch. So the reds and everything weren't lined up properly. Mm-hmm. And if you got one of those, you got a pretty crappy looking copy. You look at the 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 ones that I think they put in the burn omnibus, and it's beautiful. It, I mean, because you, you you don't suffer from any of that. So they they uh, did a good job when they reproduced it. But the uh, some of the books came out looking pretty bad, very very muddy. Yep. Let me ask you this, and I've never I never I've never this has never dawned on me, but I'm just now looking at looking at Wheezy because she's got glasses on. Yeah. Burn tends to his as as fashion accurate as he is his you know whenever he's drawing something he doesn't kind of draw generic clothing he's very attentive to actual real you know current fashion when he's drawing stuff which is great right but he tends to draw a lot of people with just big round huge glasses and you think that he would pay more attention to a more maybe it's because it just hides the face more if you draw an or more accurate glasses mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know what the story behind that is but that, that that's never occurred to me until i just realized this looking at her with those yeah huge I'll, I'll have to look back at that and see if that is the case all around but i mean i think it's you know unless again what did clark kent wear in his superman run was he wearing round glasses he wore square glasses didn't he didn't he wear i think his the glasses in that were a little more accurate i'm just thinking if you look at the glasses that we has got on and then later uh the old friend of Jen's, he's got the same big round white glasses that Burns. 
And maybe that mm. is because if you draw in a smaller frame, if you draw a more of a rectangular frame, you're not going to be able to get the detail of the eye in there. Yeah, uh, actually, the the first pair of glasses that Clark Kent is wearing when he and Lois go jogging around. in issue one are round. Round? Round frame. So it's it seems to be a preference of his somehow, somewhere along the way. That's that's become a preference. But, um, you know, looking at the, the next page, though, you'd see... I, of course, the one thing I've always loved is the way he's got that lock of hair that goes down on Jen's face. Mm-hmm. Because that's the identifying feature if you are colorblind. Um, to, to know that that's the She-Hulk or the fact he, that that's She-Hulk. You, you, if you look at his Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman never gets a lock of hair in her face like that. Interesting. Uh, any other woman that would share similar features to her, tall, dark, dark hair and all that, um, Jen seems to always have that, that lock of hair that gets down in front of her face. That's true. And in this run, she's never in uniform. She's always in her street clothes. Right. And, uh, yeah, like, cause, cause, I mean, if you, I mean, if you've seen the black and white, his commissions, of course, he does in black and white. Mm-hmm. He doesn't color, color his commissions. So if you ask for a She Hulk commission, you could look at it and go, well, this is just a, a woman. You know, it's not the She Hulk. You know, if you've got nothing to show you size perspective or anything. Right. Or costume. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the things he does to identify her out. <laughs> I like how all of uh, Wyatt's buddies are checking out She Hulk. Yeah, car. I saw that at, at first. I thought if they're just trying to see what it is or if they were actually fixing it, but I guess they're just curious as to. Yeah, what and kind the of car thing is, is that you really don't see any of them before that at all. You only see Wyatt, and then all of a sudden there's all these guys there, and they really don't even talk about them. No, they're just part of his tribe, I guess. Yeah. And, of course, the other thing in this page, this page is one of those great um, expository pages where they also kind of uh, take a little bit of uh, – well, they don't really take a shot here at the at the continuity differences between this and She-Hulk ceremony, but that comes later. Though I, I think that there is uh, the fact that they mentioned that he is now chief of the Kazawi – Kawazi. Kawazi. Excuse me. Is uh, is is against you know what they said in She-Hulk ceremony, which I have never read. I've never read it either, but I did read it on uh, Robotics that he had apparently given the editor a lot of notes because he was getting uh, whoever the editor well, was is, they were getting it wrong. Ceremony is the reason why Byrne left She-Hulk. Yeah, he says it's the reason why he got fired because the same editor was not uh, was I guess on this book was not heeding his notes. Right. So and. I mean, the thing is, is that I like Dwayne McDuffie, and Dwayne McDuffie wrote that. You know, I liked his stuff. Um, Dwayne McDuffie passed away, didn't he? Yeah, he passed away in 2011. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Dwayne McDuffie is one of those guys that, you know, just everybody loves. And of course, now that he's passed on, a lot of people, you know, will rush to his defense really, really quick. Mm. You know, in much the same way they do for Darwin, Darwin Cook. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, the thing is, if this subject comes up, you're probably going to hear a lot of back and forth on it, especially if someone is not a fan of Burn. Yep. Uh, that being that being said, I couldn't read it. I couldn't get past the artwork on there. That was uh, Robin Chaplick and June Brigman. June Brigman. And I mm-hmm. just – June Brigman should, me, should always be doing something like Power Pack. <laughs> now, that's not a bad thing. I like no. Power Pack. I, li- I liked, of course, when um, – Oh, who was that artist that was on Superman also? Um, 
was was working on Power Pack, and he was just perfect for it. Louise Simonson was writing it. Yeah, I knew she was writing Power Pack. And, um, golly. I always thought somebody like, uh, uh, is it Brett Blevins that did uh, run on, only thing I'm familiar with this is run on New, New, Mutants. New Mutants. And he has a very cartoony style. I do not, I could not get past his his artwork style. And even when, yeah, if you want, if you read the one issue of New Mutants that John Byrne does the artwork on, he uh, works to stay a little consistent with Brett Blevins' style. Are you familiar with that issue where Magneto basically comes back out as the bad guy? I probably read it. I haven't read it in uh, in years. I mean, I, yeah. the the Blevins stuff was during the Bird Brain character arc, and that's I think he kind of came up with that, and that's. Um, and it just kills me. And, and you know, the thing is, is that you know, I I like Louise Simonson. I loved her work on Power Pack. But when she took over the New, New Mutants, they stopped talking like teenagers and started talking like eight year olds. <laughs> and it, I just, I, I, I couldn't read it anymore. I, I mean, Brett Blevins' art, uh, her scripting, it didn't, didn't do it for me. Which is sad because I like Wheezy. Yeah, and I like. She's, that. she's the reason I believe why this character is being called Wheezy. I could be wrong there. I could be wrong, but hey. Uh. Anyway, um, again, this page, of course, aside from the the guys looking, you know, under the hood of the car, it's mostly just exposition to keep things moving forward, let you know what's really going on, you know, in the world. Um, We see here they say that the uh, Human Torch got married. Yep. And those that know that story, Human Torch, spoilers. Human Torch did uh, was supposed to have married Alicia Masters, but it turns out it wasn't Alicia Masters after all. It was a scroll. Oh. But you know the thing is that story had already been done at DC with um, Colossal Boy. He married what he thought was Shrinking Violet, but it was actually a Durlin, a shapeshifter mm. yeah. that was there to infiltrate. You know, again, it was just that that story had been done elsewhere. I thought it was kind of a of a, of a rip. But um, well, you know, that's just I mean that's just a, a retcon. If you've got to have to retcon something, that's the that's the way to do it. It's like yeah, it's they like didn't a, want a, a to variation be of evil twin or a twin brother or a twin sister or you know something that uh, you know. Look at Daredevil. You know he faked his own death and came back as his own twin brother. So <laughs> was that Mike Murdoch? I think so. Yeah. Speaking of a uh, squirrel squirrels, have you seen them in the new Captain Marvel trailer? It looked pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I that that definitely has got me ready. I, I I'm 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 so ready to see that movie. Only thing I don't like about the design, I mean, other than the makeup, I think it looks great. The top where they would look like they would have they had their kind of skull cap, their kind of Ming the Merciless kind of skull cap that was purple. Yeah, they've just colored their. It's just a coloration of the skin, so it kind of hints at that. It's like just give them a skull cap. I mean, if those things look cool. Just give them a skull cap. You don't have to. A, sc- a scroll cap? A scroll cap. There you a go. scroll cap, yeah. Yeah, scroll cap. <laughs> um, and in page four, which is, you know, we, we drop into, I call it a PSA. This white has to give a little story about how the government's trying to steal land from the Indians. But then he cuts it off pretty quick, so... Yeah, well, I mean, he's sitting there talking about, you know, how the Indians had such a hard time, and then they show the casinos. Yeah. And it's not casinos here. I don't know if that's supposed to be casinos or not. Looks like casinos. But it does have a very Las Vegas-y look to it. Yeah, it it looks like casinos. It looks like... Yeah. But I I think they're, you know, basically he was trying to show that that this Native American nation is much more like Wakanda 
mm. than than the others. Um, now, th- then, as you know, after they get past all that, they they cut to night, and there's Jen. She's sitting there on a rock out there in the moonlight, and White comes up, and I really like the 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 lighting and the camera angle of what he was doing here. You know, the, the way he's got her sitting and. And the, the, is that a butte behind her or is that a mountain? Because the, the word block there cuts it off. But um, it definitely sets the mood there for the whole scene. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not crazy about the highlighting on her just because it doesn't look like, it doesn't look like quite like burn. But the, the, next, the next page on six where he just got them kind of almost like monotone, I like. Because mm-hmm. White's kind of a pale, in mine, he's kind of a pale blue. Yeah, yes, um, that's, that's what I see too. Um, and he doesn't look like Superman. Hmm, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's because of the hair, but no, no, even the face. I mean, his nose is a little bit wider. Yeah. You know, the face is a little bit rounder. His eyes are a little different. And as far as you know, his musculature, he is so overly muscled compared to how Byrne had drawn Superman, especially in the later times. He kind of th- trimmed him down a little bit. Yeah. But She-Hulk looks almost anorexic in her little night night clothes and everything. Well, he never drew her as muscled as later people later would draw her to look more like a... She was never drawn to look more like a bodybuilder, just uh, someone who was in very good shape. Which, which is funny because I seem to remember reading in an old issue, and I was sure it was something that he wrote. She was reading a magazine and thinking to herself, huh, full-figured women are back in fashion. Thank goodness. <laughs> I think it was in Fantastic Four. I could be wrong, though. I mean, you know, whoever remembers that, go, you know, correct me. But, yeah, now this is the page, of course, that flies in the face of the continuity. Right. Um, and, you know, the, the thing is, is that you have my last graphic novel out and got your family history all wrong. So that must have been a dream or something. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and then, of course, she pulls him on him and, you know, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is funny because he can kind of do... Well, he doesn't do it, but, you know, the infamous scenes that were cut from the She-Hulk graphic novel because they thought yeah. they were a little too uh, risque. Doesn't too quite side boob. Yeah, Mushed <laughs> side boob. It doesn't, doesn't go there here, but um, uh, yeah, gets a little close. And then we cut to, and I don't, I haven't read this so long, so I don't remember where this storyline goes. This Mount yeah, Olympus. I, I, I honestly don't recall. I honestly don't recall. What I do think is really creepy is that you know, the way, you know, Aphrodite, I say Aphrodite is Venus, is sitting there, you know, and beckoning to her son in a way that's, you know, nah, that's taboo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, this page itself, you, you, uh, you know, it's like Olympus itself looks really odd because the coloring around it is so, it's like a gray-green color. It doesn't look so bright and airy like you would expect Olympus. Are those like, are those like tree, parts of trees? I don't know if there's a tree or below that, it. Looks almost like clouds. I don't really like the it way looks like in, smoke. The way he's interpreted Olympus, yeah. I'd want it to be more of a mountaintop. This looks like some type of a plateau or something. That uh, you're right. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess the ones on top are supposed to be uh, trees, but the ones below don't seem like they've got any trunks to them. So it look does look like smog or smoke or something. Yeah, but I, I think it's supposed to be trees. Yeah. I, I honestly do. Um, it's just really bizarre the way it looks and and then of course you see the lower ones are colored correctly maybe that's why you've got more than one 
uh, colorist, colorist credited on the book. Uh, someone was having a bad day, and they said, well, let's let someone else take over. Um, of course, you caught the little uh, modern-day joke in there, in the middle panel. Uh, I, didn't, I wrote that down. I didn't know what that meant. The what? game of Marla and Donald. That's not supposed to be Donald Trump, is it? Yeah, because Donald was with Ivana. Oh, okay. I not Ivanka, the... that's the daughter. He was with Ivana, and you know he, he left her for Marla Maples, okay. if I remember right. And so that's, um, he's taking credit for that. He doesn't have to. <laughs> anyway. Well, I figure the fact he was called the Donald, that meant Trump, but. Uh, yeah, and that that's exactly who they're talking about yeah. there. So it's even back then. <laughs> Always. Can't, can't stay out of the papers, even when there's someone's stories. But um, now if you look at just the face of Hermes, though, who is that? Is that Johnny Storm? Hmm. Could be, it could be, could be Cap. It could be the Human Torch. It could be uh, Hawkeye. Me, just, <laughs> just the mouth and the way he's got the mouth and everything. It looks a little bit more like like Human Torch than it does any of them. It looks like when he first started drawing the torch, but as you know, I always see his FF run kind of broken up. And mm-hmm. later, one when he draw, started drawing the torch a little more thin and lean, and he had mm-hmm. more of the kind of bowl haircut. Yeah. And he thinned his face out a little bit. This is more of a, like a heroic torch. The heroic port proportions. Yeah. Okay. All right. So moving on, Jen's in a... Is that a, a tube top? It's a tube top and some jeans. She's in a tube top. It's like, that yeah, better be a very tough tube top. <laughs> I mean, she, she could wind up fighting Dr. Doom. It's unstable molecules, probably. Yeah. She was smart those those, those blue jeans are not flattering on her. <laughs> well, they're, I mean, they're like... They're capri pants. They're a little high waisted too. Yeah. Oh my god! Why do I know that? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what's wrong with me? A new podcast on Two True Freaks Network. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, this is her saying goodbye, and they'll be coming back to get them. And then, of course, the car flying up off into. Does it look like there's not as is not as much detail in that last panel? That bottom one. Yeah. With the car flying off or her saying goodbye to Wyatt? With the car flying off. It's like they just... Yeah, it's a little... I, I, trying to represent the speed of it all, I think, is, is what makes it makes it less detailed on the car, so I can forgive that. But and then, it uh, looks that, like those were all buttes. Yeah. yeah but the, that upper uh, panel of her, close-up of her face is nice. Yes. Yeah, the, the, the upper panel... Now, the, the upper left panel, the hair's not flattering, the jeans aren't flattering... Why am I being so critical of this? I don't know. <laughs> this is more like an episode of Millie the Model, an issue of Millie the Model, <laughs> than it is, you know, She-Hulk. And I guess that's that's part of why we're, we're noticing these things. But look at Wyatt Wingfoot in the middle panel. That almost reminds me of Rob Liefeld's Captain America shot. He's a little, yeah. The, the famous one where he's sideways and he's a little chesty. Forward. Yeah, he's very chesty. But then again, Wyatt's a big huge muscled over muscled guy he always has mm-hmm. been yeah and then okay so they take off and then the next page we see of course the nice shot of the car shooting through the air and then the inner shot of jen and wheezy and that car apparently has a lot of room in it yeah, well it's a it's a is that a 59 cadillac yeah i believe so you know that's gonna have that's a nice shot of her of her with her legs crossed there's a lot mm-hmm. of detail there it's a nice angle uh uh in the the one and the one next to it with a car, it's again, that does not have a lot of 
Uh, well, here's here's the beauty of, of, of Burns' work, okay? So when you're looking at that panel of her sitting there in the car, look at her wrist, and she's got all those uh, bracelets there. Mm-hmm. And because she's hanging her hand off of her leg, the the rings are not all just laying one direction right. or another. They're being affected by, by her hand laying right. down on yeah. it, the relaxing motion of her hand. And this is something that, that not every artist even thinks about doing. You know, they're, they're so concerned with getting the human frame in the poses. They don't think about little things like that. Well, probably most artists would not want to even put the, the, the dangles there, the bracelets, because you're going to have to, you're going to have to pay attention to that throughout the, the uh, geom- you draw yeah, it. Yeah. The Where geometry at, of it. Yeah. Remember our whole discussion in the, in the ringer issue. Yeah. Of, of Spider-Man. And so there, there they come down to the street and all the cars have, all the houses have snow in the yards. Why? Uh, and this is another note I had. Why did he convince his neighbors, "Hey, I'm going to cover this whole street in plastic"? Don't you think he would just cover her, his house? Oh, uh, homeowners association man—they're like Nazis. Yeah, but they, I think they would not let you put the plastic down if it was a HMO. No, they, no HOA. HOA. You're not HMO. That's you're going HMO. to get a prescription. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, but uh, I mean, it's like they just make a decision and they make everybody do it. Hmm. And so they decided to go full Edward Scissorhands on this. Uh, if you remember in that, they rolled the snow out on the top of the yeah. house. I just thought that was hilarious. Only in California. And then the the car sets down on the roads, but where we're going, we don't need roads. roads. <laughs> <laughs> and she discovers that it's all just plastic sheeting, and there's her dad coming out. Well, I got news for the dad. If he leaves that down too long, it's going to kill the grass because no light getting through that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Of course, at the bottom of the next page, her dad looks an awful lot like Reed Richards in the face. Uh, you talking about page fourteen, or? Yeah, yeah, page fourteen, where he's where they're kind of looking at each other with him and Weezy looking Weezy at each other and making diz it diz it. What, what yeah. is that? I think she's being so, like ditz ditzy. She's being, yeah. Do you yeah. think Bird because he looks much younger? in that panel. You think he's purposely drawing him that way because that's how she's kind of seeing him, a more romanticized view. Beer goggles? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because he doesn't look like that in the rest of the, the pages. He looks his appropriate age. Yeah, because like the, the first panel you see him, he actually looks like what Archie Andrews would look like if he was 55 years old. Yeah. Oh, I never thought about that. <laughs> yeah. And then the next page, you know, he's he looks like Reed Richards and he's got no gray hair. And yeah, that's very. That's uh, I didn't really even catch that before. At first, at first I thought it was a mistake. Then I realized when I saw that he had done all the little zits yeah. in that she's kind of starstruck. So she's seeing him, uh, like you said, through rose-colored glasses. Yep. And then of course, yeah, they go into the house, and there is this family. And I'm sorry, did this page get Frank Millard? Like, if you look at the muscular guy in the gray shirt in the middle, it, it, it's almost like like something out of Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> I didn't understand this this page. I didn't understand why Burn did Burn just want to draw a large group of people because I was looking at all of them to see if they were meant to be. No, I think it was a, a, a comment on the, the tropes of the day where all of a sudden all these characters had brothers and sisters you'd never heard of. That could be it because I, I, I just I didn't understand why he, had, why he did this. It's similar to I thought sometimes he, because I kept looking at him to see if any of these were people that either were in the comic industry or famous people 
because he's done that before. You know, they he did a uh, when Reed and uh, Sue moved out to the suburbs, they had yeah. like a housewarming party, and he had famous people. Uh, well, right he had there. High and Lois and Dagwood right. Bumstead, that and, kind of and stuff. All yeah. That. yeah. So I, I was wondering if that's what this is, or if it was just. I mean, if he was com- think- maybe he was commenting on that. I do think I see Paul Schaefer talking to Mary Jane Watson, though, on the far left side. With the long cigarette? Is that, I think it's Paul Schaefer? I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I really don't know. He's just a, a balding man in all black, and uh, there's a red-headed girl in fishnets. And there's a guy with a lampshade on his head. I don't know who that's supposed to be. Yeah. There's uh, a kid crying at the bottom. There's hmm? a kid crying like he wants to be picked up or something next to the guy in the Hawaiian shirt. And there's a baby crawling there's a on baby the floor. baby crawling on the floor with nobody in attendance. So Yeah. I mean, it's it's a pretty pretty detailed page of people that you're never ever going to know anything no. about. Maybe there are people in his maybe there are people in his family. Maybe yeah. through his own family, I don't know. But I love this. I love this part. She-Hulk pulls out the the the, the Marvel Universe Master Edition. Basically, uh a uh, that was the three ring binder. You had to sit there and buy all the loose leaf sheets for the uh, Ohatmu type write ups on all the characters. Yeah, and I didn't like that version nearly as much. I mean, you could organize it the way you wanted to, but it didn't Ohatmu have as much information. Ohatmu Volume Two is is, is that's my the favorite. best. That's the best yeah. one. Yep, but I do like that the, the look on She Hulk's face there at the bottom right. Cut to Christmas Eve now, <laughs> except the fact that he made it Xmas. Yeah. Is that, the one con- that. is that the one contention? I know a lot of people don't oh, like yeah. that. But yeah, I mean, isn't he an atheist? I don't know if is he's he? an atheist. I don't know. I don't know. I believe he is. Oh. I believe he is. But uh, but I don't think, I don't know if he was back then or whatever. But that shot of her, though, that is so highly detailed. I mean, you can even see, see around her eyes. And it looks like somebody I've seen very recently on TV. And I can't for life me figure out who. Oh, Reminds me of Odette Annabelle, the actress Odette Annabelle. She's the one that played Rain on uh, Supergirl last season. Oh, I don't know. But uh, she was in she was in Cloverfield. The first one or the Cloverfield? The very first one. She was the okay. girl that, that got you know ripped into rebar. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, but that panel up above with her kicking all them out—that's kind of fun. That's too. kind of funny. The guy's somebody stealing the TV. Yep. Well, hey, wait—that's somebody... her father's. That's a yeah. Somebody, somebody. Anyway, so we go to Christmas Eve, and what the hell is that yellow thing that they've got going around the tree? I think that's supposed to be tinsel, but I don't, or maybe it's supposed to be popcorn. Oh, popcorn string. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. It just looks so undefined. No, no, no. But look, look at the bottom page when he's looking at the ornament. You see a close oh. up of it. That's not popcorn. It looks more like fortune cookies. Yeah, there's something on the ground. Feel I step on fortune cookies. It's not fortune cookies. Yeah, no, it's just ribbon. It's just ribbon, yeah. Yeah. Now, here is uh, a little timey-wimey thing that's a little wrong, and that is he's got a Christmas ornament there for Jen. Baby's first Christmas, 1960. Yeah, that makes her 31. Then, uh, yeah, she'd be 32 then. And how old would she be now? Um, add 25, 26 years? No, yeah. It's... Ah, but it's She-Hulk. She doesn't age. She, she, ages, she ages slower. But in that, where he's looking at the... I know he's supposed to be, I guess, teary-eyed. 
He looks like he's been in a fight. He looks like he's got yeah. two black eyes. But it's very pinkish rather yeah. than yeah. And that's a, again, that's a colorist mistake. And I mean, it's just we've seen a couple little colorist mistakes here in this issue. Well, there's even one more in the. Uh, it's a nice shot in the next page where he's kind of where she's leaning on his shoulder. They're kind of and he's talking to her. He's got a lot of detail on his face, even a lot of detail in Wheezy's face behind, which she's kind of listening on. Uh, but then when the bottom, the middle page where he hears the horn honking, uh-huh. they've painted a new color. In your version, does he have half his face painted pink? Yeah, it looks like Braveheart almost. Yeah, I don't know. It's supposed to be a shadow, but man, it's such a hard... It's a, yeah, this, it's, it's a colorist mistake is what it is. I mean, yeah. or at least a colorist or printing mistake, maybe, um, that's happened in this. Huh. And then, did now, do you remember Zapper? I don't... I've, I've got a handful of issues of Savage She-Hulk, but I've never read them, so I'm not familiar at all with her first run. He never looked like that as far as I can remember. <laughs> but then again, they say he put a beard on. And, you know, the wiki said this is supposed to be, she was supposed to be like an exact duplicate of Jen. But, you know, with the color so different, I didn't see it. <laughs> oh, well, you, you don't get a good shot of her except for the one shot at the bottom of that page where they're kind of looking at each other. And yeah. that's, and the way he's drawn it, the, the two women's faces are not very flattering. I know he's drawn so they look identical, but it's not very flattering. And yeah. you don't ever get a really good shot of her uh, anywhere else. I mean, she kind of reminds me of um, who was Rick Jones' girlfriend doing Dale Keown was writing Hulk. Marla. Marla. Yeah, and she was supposed to be like 6'6 six, six or something, wasn't she? Yeah. She was real tall. Yeah. Hey, look at the panel up above where he's opening the door for her. What's going on with his face? Yeah, it's like he's squinting. Yeah, I mean, he looks like a, he looks like a newspaper comic character. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to remember which one. But he's got anyway. that. I'd say he's got that douchey little uh, goat, uh, ponytail in the back. He looks kind of like a sleazy uh, Tony Stark. Yeah, you want to hear sad? My son can make his hair look just like this guy's. I mean, not the same color. Obviously, he's blonde haired. He can ponytail he can, it. But he, I mean, he, no, he he actually got it cut. He got that part cut because it was getting long. But he doesn't like it long. But at least up front, you know, he's got that wave and everything. It's almost like like Superman's hair and when, when Burn was drawing Superman, where it wasn't the spit curl but the full wave. Mm-hmm. And his hair I, – I, I always referred to that whenever I saw that style as the John Byrne hairstyle. You know, because that was one he always drew very well. Yeah. And my son does it perfectly. And I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I don't have any hair now to, to, to even comb into a curl, much less – I don't even you know. I don't bother, but I just buzz mine off. Yeah. But I, I will admit there was a time when I, I let my hair get long and I would put it a little, little man ponytail like this. <laughs> Let's see something here. I'm just going to pull up a picture of Steve Gerber because honestly, yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see how Rory was supposed to be represented Steve, Steve Gerber. Gerber. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense there. Well, he kind of reminds um, me too of what I think of Roy Thomas looking like. Back in the hate, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that. What is it with with all these characters in comic books inheriting or getting large sums of money? I mean, I guess it's the the plot device that prevents them from actually having to work, so they mm-hmm. can be a superhero or whatever. But this guy's not even a, a superhero or anything. I mean, he's just a a background character. That's a Buick Riviera. Is that what that no, is? No, 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 it's not. It's not. Uh, the rear end made me think of it because of the way the vinyl thing and the, and the logo thing was on there. But no, if you look up, you can see that it's got the 
the the the steady wheel there, and it looks like it's got four pipes coming off. Yeah, it's of got it. exhaust pipes on it. So that's that right there is a very very expensive car. I'm not sure if that's an older Bentley or what. I I, I don't know old cars. I mean cars like that. It's it's almost got the shape of a like a Prowler kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But you know the the problem with this book is it's so this issue is that you know looking at it from our perspective doing this kind of review it's so mundane and like i said it plays out more like an issue of millie the model which is not something that we would want to review every day or any day yeah um, yeah i'm I'm on 22 at this point and um where they're catching and making out yeah they catch and making i'm just trying to figure out what they're eating but because the colorist just went all one color on the food it yeah, there's more, there's more color in the food on the following the opposite page when it's in the fridge than but yeah. she just mentioned turkey and sweet potatoes and yep something else but uh, fruitcake fruitcake yeah which nobody, you don't put fr- you don't put fruitcake in the fridge well, nobody eats that, fruitcake that would anyway. create yeah that would create an even harder rock oh my brother eats fruitcake oh, my brother oh. my brother like had a subscription to the Collins Street Bakery. I think they live partially off of his income. Uh, <laughs> but um, let's see. What else, what is that on top of the fridge? That is a popcorn popper. Uh, no, I, I got that. But the box there in between the popcorn popper and the soda. It's popcorn. It's probably a uh, Redenbacher. Oh, okay. Yeah, Orville Redenbacher. Or, or yes, Bacher popcorn. That's an old hot yeah. air popper is what that yep. is. Yep. Probably Hamilton okay. Beach. <laughs> yeah, Hamilton Beach is probably yeah. You were you were right there. I, I yeah. worked in Housewards and Dillers, and that was yeah, yeah. that was the one. Yeah, but yeah, okay. I'm getting hungry looking at the food. Well, that's a nice shot with or the fridge light back. Uh, uh, you know, the shadows cast from her uh, looking to the fridge. Yep. Uh, I kind of wish the the panel above where she's kind of putting a robe on didn't kind of cut into her head, but uh, that's a nice. Nice shot, and then of course she, you know, makes her. I mean, I don't know what kind of probably a turkey sandwich. It's a Dagwood special. It's got one yeah. slice of everything. <laughs> At least one it, slice uh, of everything. Yeah. yeah. And Mo's still up, and he's all. And I, of, I can actually read ginger ale off the bottle in the, in the fridge, and cola, something cola. Wow. Yeah. And that should be the Frigidaire logo at the top on the freezer door. Right. Yeah, but that's that's a very old type of fridge with the freezer on the inside. You you see that on many fridges today, but you don't see that. Yeah, well, it's it's probably a, you know, well let's see, this is ninety one, so that could have been a twenty year old fridge maybe. Yeah, but see the 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 thing of her coming down the hallway also blocks this. But he's got like a crisper or something up there at the top that if you tried to shut that fridge, it would hit the freezer thing and bounce off and it wouldn't shut. Ooh, you're right. That would not work. Yeah. Shame on you, Mr. Byrne. Would not work. All right. All right. So come out and, yeah, like you said. Sees Mo and he's all kind of, you know, sad that, you know, he's happy for, for She-Hulk. But, uh, you know, I guess I guess it's like anything. I want people feel this way when somebody, if you have uh, maybe a wife or a, or a partner or a uh, or child or parent. Do you, know what this, do you know what this makes me think of? And it kind of makes me a little uncomfortable. It's like that scene in X-Men 2 when Bobby's wife says to him, have you ever tried not Not being being a mutant? mutant. And it's kind of like, I mean, you could sit there and say, this is one of those cases where She-Hulk goes, okay, Dad, I'm not gay. (laughs) Well, I think it's more, like I said, if you have somebody that, say, if you had a child that became very famous, like a sports figure, 
then you might then I think that kind of sep- you get a separation because they're no longer your kid they're everybody's you know they belong to the world now because they're so famous that yeah. you might feel that hey I miss having my kid around or my wife or whoever the, whoever the person is so I think that's what Bern is trying to say and of course it's just it's kind of excuse for I mean I don't think he's trying to be mean I mean obviously she hope takes it badly because she can't do anything about it unless she stopped being uh, a, a superhero well I, I look at it like this look at that picture on the very um, front cover alright mm-hmm. there's not her mother his wife in there yeah wouldn't you think that Jen in her original form probably resembles her mother an awful lot? Probably. So she's probably the last reminder that he has of his wife in there. So well, there's all that emotion probably tied up in that as well. Yeah, and I don't know if in the original Savage She-Hulk run, was that in L.A. or California? So was she kind of living near her dad at that point? I don't, I don't know. If that's the case, I don't, of, you know, for, for I would I would assume it all because you got Zapper and 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 what's his name that, that that came to see her. I just I believe yeah they were all they together. Were I was looking at issue two um, of Savage She Hulk here because I wanted to see take a look at Zapper again to see if I remembered him being who he was. And um, you know they had got a whole thing going on uh, at the house and it looks like her father's there and everybody's there. So yeah, it looks like it's all all there in California. Well, if the the wife is dead, then they and he, she has no brothers or sisters, right. then they just have each other. And now she's gone off doing this really glamorous. You know her. You know her whole life has changed. Well, she's she Hulk, but she's more. I mean, it seems like her personality has uh, gotten bigger along with her body. So she's right. more outgoing. She's more kind of brash. Well, there's She's definitely more... there's yeah there's definitely a change i mean from the time that when when she first started of course she was the savage she hooked so she was so much more i don't want to say brutal but you know she had a, a much rougher personality and everything at first and she you know as, as the the time went on and they they kind of softened the edges such and then of course burn came in and he you know revitalized her when he brought her into the fantastic four and turned her into something that everybody really liked well, she, I don't I know that he established that she enjoyed being the She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. I think in the first run, it was more this is a necessity that I can become this person because this bad thing has happened, so I can fix it because I can become the She-Hulk. When Byrne took over, you know, she embraced it. She liked being the She-Hulk. Yeah, yeah, and I can see that. But I mean, there was also some utility, some helpfulness in being Jennifer Walters. Yeah, but she never really. I, I don't know that she ever. Because, I, I, again, I've got some of the, the original Savage She-Hope, but I don't think I really read them far enough. I think I read into the first six issues and just kind of lost interest. And part of it was the story. Part of it was – a lot of it was the art, though. Yeah. I remember not being as big a fan of it. I remember liking the issue with Iron Man in it, but still that w- it was not Iron Man as I knew him. Because I was it, very accustomed to – Is it the She-Hope considered the last – major character created by Stanley. Hmm. I think I've read that somewhere. That's right. That's right, because he, he did create that, and John Basima actually was doing the artwork in the first issue. Mm-hmm. And let's see here. Wow. But soon after, um, let's see, Mike Vosberg and Chick Stone took over art, and David Anthony Kraft took over after issue one. And uh, they uh, 
Mike Vosberg stayed on for art. I didn't, I, you know, I mean, he he drew in the house style, but there was something a little bulbous about his his pencils there. It just uh, didn't do it for me. And Zapper had kind of a fro going on back in those days. Yeah. Well, I mean, her outfit was always that torn white. Yeah. It looked like a hospital Trump. gown. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever or a onesie. A onesie. Yeah, a onesie. Yeah, whatever it was. A romper. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, getting back to it, of course, there's uh, Mo and Wheezy on the couch, and he is lamenting, you know, that that he's lost the daughter that he remembers. Hmm. And you see her standing there against the wall, and that is such a vulnerable position. It makes me think also of Jasmine in Next Men uh, mm-hmm. when when they forced her to have the abortion. Well, he's also has her in like just a t-shirt, which is I'm sure what she's sleeping in, but that. Yeah, makes her appear a little more vulnerable because she's yeah, um, you know. So she basically goes back and goes back and throws herself on the bed and starts crying because I mean yeah, um, she gets it. Yeah, she she understands and she understands how he feels, but it's it's nothing she can do about it. She can't you know she can't. You, th- you think her father? You think her father decorated that room gray and hot pink? What was <laughs> he thinking? Maybe that's her old room. Yeah, and it is her room, but still. <laughs> well, maybe she gray, that's how she was when she was there. Gray and hot pink. I mean, I understand pastels, but that's... Ugh. <laughs> well, the rug's pink, too. Yeah. Pink flowers on it. Yeah. But then you see that the, the, the bed uh, dressing and the curtains are kind of red. Yeah, kind of a maroon. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, a maroon, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the next page, and of course, that's when she all of a sudden realizes, hey, I got this gift I can pull out of any pocket. Here it is. And then we go to the next page. It, You know, the, the way he's – and again, I don't know if it was him or what. It makes me think of, of some of the work that what, that he did in Namor when he was using the Zipatone. Mm-hmm. But it just the coloring of it is getting so off. And does he have a different nose on that last page? The father? Yeah, when he and her are face to face, his nose is kind of yeah. It's a little more upturned. Yeah, man, we are so picky. No, but that's what happens when you get a slice of life story <laughs> like this. I mean, what what else you got to to look at? Yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have a, a problem with it. I, uh, I did have a problem with when she comes out. She's got the same hairstyle, and I yeah. thought we had established that. Why would her hair? Unless, of course, this is magic. So I guess that explains it. Why is her hair shorter? Because haven't we established that the Hulk... I mean, of course, Banner always had the same kind of length hair as uh, the Hulk. But when Bruce Jones was writing it and Banner was shaving his head, when he became the Hulk, the Hulk had a shaved head. So I would think she would have long hair, same length uh, as the She-Hulk. I am going to go back and take a look real quick at what's green and has the staple in its navel. Because that's one where she changed from... Oh, that's... Yeah. Well, I think if you look in the graphic novel, she's got this short haircut when she changes when she's trying to get out of the prison cell. Yeah, I mean that—that's when if um, I don't—I'd have to pull it off the shelf because I don't have a. I mean, but the fact that the her transformation is due to magic, so if it really is an illusion or she actually actually did change, then that explains it. She's gonna look the way you know. Maybe that's the spell. She looks the way he wants her to look. And yeah, and she's got. Short hair is Jen Walters. And, I mean, she's got almost pixie haircut in the Fantastic Four. And then when she turns into She-Hulk, 
it's, you know, just incredibly large everywhere hair. Yeah, she's always had long hair as She-Hulk. Yeah, but uh, yeah, her, her Jen Walters is very, very short, almost almost a pixie cut. So, I mean, it's that's that's just one of the comic book things, I think. It's yeah. not something I would... Yeah, that's just, I mean, it's just, it's like I said, it, it's it's easily explained the fact that it's a magic spell. So Yeah. It's a nice Christmas story, though. I it's mean, a, you know, yeah. the, the, the whole thing between the father and the daughter, it's got, you know, in today's climate, a disturbing point, you know, from my, from my perspective, what, what would be a disturbing point? If this came out today, I think it would get argued a lot more. Maybe the way he feels about her? Yeah, like I said, that whole, you know, it's like, like having a gay child and have you ever tried not being gay you know it's it, it that's that's almost what it felt like to me now it's not how it felt to me then back then you know not this is one of those issues that had me oh yeah it was, it was, you know yeah I, I i didn't pick up on i mean i didn't that that didn't that didn't occur to me i i, I didn't feel it was he was asking her not to be she hulk the way uh the way it's put to to uh, bobby drake in x2 but um, I mean, it's 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 a nice little Christmas story. Like I said it's it's very sentimental, but yeah. it's, it's kind of earnest. Uh, it's a sweet little story. Uh, the thing I found, which I really surprised me reading it, because like I said I hadn't read any of these issues since they came out. Mm-hmm. I was surprised at how much the fourth wall breaking took me out of the story. Really? Oh yeah, and I was really surprised at that because I didn't have a problem with it when I read it. Uh, I thought it was kind of cool, but. It, to me, it came like, okay, okay, Burn, you've had your little joke. Let's get back to the story. And I can just imagine reading this whole run where it's all fourth wall breaking. Uh, you know, when, when it first came out and I was reading it each month, I was just like, oh, I'm loving this. I'm loving this. This, I'm, I'm not seeing this in any other book except for, except for say, Ambush Bug. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed the Ambush Bug as well at the time. Uh, I don't think Deadpool was doing this yet, was he? Deadpool, I think, was barely a gleam in the eye in 82. I gotta look that up. But yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, she definitely predated Deadpool as far as fourth wall. Mm-hmm. Well, some of this, and this is going to sound, it's not going to sound good coming from me, but sometimes when they do the fourth wall breaking, at first mm-hmm. when you, you think, oh, it's kind of cool because they're they're mentioning some kind, it's like spotting... It's like going to see in a Marvel movie now and spotting some kind of little Easter egg. Oh, I know what that is. And you guys like you like oh you know and that makes you feel good about yourself. So that's kind of what this is. You you know he'll mention something and you're like oh I know what he's talking about. So you feel kind of inclusive. But it also feels a little bit like the writer Byrne saying oh look how clever I am. I put this little comment in here. Well so, you know the thing is and again we're talking you know 26 years removed from it. You know, back then, when you were reading it and you were current, it was it was one thing for me. I mean, like, again, it was like watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and I enjoyed that. Uh, removing yourself from it, looking at it all these years later, especially when they got the little topical jokes, you know, Donald Trump and all that. Yeah. It 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 it's easy to get to get knocked out of the story today reading it than I I, I would have thought back then. Back then, I would have thought as part of it, it was part of what I was looking forward to in reading that book. Right. I, I wanted to be a part of that. Yeah. And I, when I read these originally, I wasn't pulled out. And maybe it's if I read through this whole run again, it would that would that kind of um, go away. And, I, and mm-hmm. I would. But 
maybe it's just because I haven't read a story like this in a while, that it just, to me, it felt very jarring. Not in a way that, say, you could feel the same way with, say, when you went and saw the Dead, Deadpool movie. And I, I could see people could see that as well. I don't like that. I don't like him breaking the fourth wall and making comments. Uh, usually commenting on what's currently going on. A lot of this commenting is backstory or he's trying to... Uh, there's a point when, when he's talking to uh, Wyatt about why they don't date anymore. He said, well, once... Uh, and this is in his own run. Once Johnny and Alicia, Alicia became a thing, Wyatt and Jen kind of fell about the wayside. And I was wondering if that was him commenting on his own writing. Like... I put these two together, but then Johnny and Alicia came along, and that kind of took my focus, so I kind of forgot about Jen and Wyatt, um, which I thought that was interesting, that he was coming on his own. If maybe he regretted that. Maybe he wanted to keep them together more or bring them forward or... Well, no, I mean, the thing is, what we're just looking at, when I, when I was sitting there looking at uh, the books, what was... I mean, I was looking there at Fantastic Four 275, I think it was. And that was 1985. So that was a year before Superman. Um, and so he had, what, 18 more issues in the book. And, I mean, he had a lot going on, of course. You know, the Johnny Alicia thing was already happening. And then you had Kristoff blowing up the Baxter building. Hate monger with Sue. I mean, there is so much going on there. Um, there is so much that's going on in just that next year. And then in 86, that's, of course, the year that, that Byrne leaves after 293. And even in 293, wasn't Wyatt there? Yeah, Wyatt was uh, at the Baxter building while She-Hulk was out there. So Wyatt was still part of the story. I don't know. I mean, it, it may have been, yeah. like you say, characters sometimes take over. And it might have been putting Johnny and Alicia together because Ben didn't come back from uh, Battleworld. Might right. be that was something more newer and more exciting. And just, you know, they wanted to give... I mean, I can understand uh, Sue's already married. So you have another this, this female character in it who's very full of life and vibrant and outgoing. You want to give her something kind of bounce off of. So you give her a boyfriend. But then, I don't know if... Of course, that was all retcon too, about Alicia. He didn't... I don't think Byrne ever intended for them not to be... Well, I mean, again, he didn't get him married. Steve Englehart got him married, right? That was... Steve Englehart uh, and Keith Pollard doing yeah, the artwork. Yeah. Uh, when, when that happened, and then, you know, the wheels came off after that. Was it DeFalco? Um, Did Falco come on after that? Well, DeFalco, uh, I mean... Who who turned her into a scroll? Was that DeFalco or Englehart? Alicia Masters was retconned into being a scroll in issue 357 of uh, Fantastic Four, as written by Tom DeFalco. I don't know. Maybe uh, one of our listeners can tell us. <laughs> anyway, I, I just don't know who. I mean, there's a lot of changes stuff going around when, uh, when when you know they decide to do those kind of big retcons. But um, but other than that that was my only quibble about the story was that I was I, that was the biggest shock I had when I was reading it. I just kept thinking, let's get back to the story. You know, it's almost yeah. like watching a movie and somebody's talking to you. It's like stop talking to me. I'm trying to I'm trying to watch the show. Um, but, but as, like I said, if I read these, read this whole run again, and that might subside and like, okay, I, I get it now. Cause I'm kind of used to it. Maybe this was just a little jarring because I hadn't read this in a while. That, that, that may be a, it. And it, and it, it just may all, but 
you know, also be that, you know, that device wears on you already. I mean, you know, we all see the stories differently in later years than when we saw them, you know, in our early years. And that may be it, because maybe, like you said, maybe this technique has been, it's been kind of maybe overused. We've seen it too much. And before, I mean, for this, comics, I mean, the, the, the most, you never had an actual fourth wall breaking, but you would have, you know, Stan would, you know, occasionally write himself or, or uh, Kirby into a, a book or something like that. You know, we're not really breaking the fourth wall, but more bringing it more into the real world. Right. Um, and I, I never, like you said about Ambush Book, I've never read Ambush Book, so I'm, there's a huge blind spot. I don't know anything about that. But Madcap um, is the same, similar kind of humor. Does he, does he talk, does he break the fourth wall? I don't. I, I don't recall Madcap actually breaking the fourth wall. I only read uh, him in the Daredevil uh, issue that he uh-huh. he showed up in, um, well, of course, and that I mean, was one of those crazy issues right after Frank Miller left. Yeah, I mean, of course, in the '80s, Moonlighting, you know, famously kind of did it on mm-hmm. TV with Bruce. Oh Wells. yeah, um, and and that and that's what She Hulk was being compared to. Moonlighting, I can was, see that it was being compared to Moonlighting. I can see that. Absolutely, can see that. Day. I mean, it is. It was a lot. Kind of going into the '90s, this was a lot lighter and fun which is what it should be it should be yeah. fun um then some of the heavy kind of dour stuff that came along later but um i enjoyed it i mean it was it was a uh, it was a fun story yeah i it, it makes me want to sit there and look at I, I, again i think i'm gonna have to get if there is ever a she-hulk omnibus i'd have to pick it up and see now i gotta go and look and see i don't know why there wouldn't be one unless part of this is in i don't think it's in the Marvel Universe for John Byrne, and it's not in... Obviously, he's got his Fantastic Four, he's got his Alpha Flight. Okay, there, there is uh, Sensational She-Hulk by John Byrne, The Return. And it's dated 1989 to 1994. You can get a Kindle edition for about 20 bucks. It's not bad. No, it's not bad at all. And um, so it collects... Okay, so this is all the new stuff from issue 31 to 46... 48 to 50. Okay, so it's not his original 8 or 9 or however no, he did. There, there, I mean, there's Volume 1, which is Sensational She-Hulk by John Byrne, Volume 1. Mm-hmm. And it collects 1 through 8. And then Marvel... Oh, and, and the uh, the material from Marvel Comics presents number 18, and that, which came out... And that, I think, is... Uh, wait, Marvel Comics presents... Well, that wasn't the weekly, was it? I think so. Oh yeah, I see. I'm getting that confused. The Action Comics Weekly. Okay, mm-hmm. so yeah, that was that was what came out before She Hulk number one came out, and she punched her hand right through Doom's face, and she goes, "Oh crap, Defalco's going to kill me." <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a it was a short story in there to lead into what her series is going to be like. Give you an idea what the, her series is going to be like. So um, with this being a Christmas story, and here we are leading up, we're within two weeks of Christmas. Um, I was I was sitting there thinking, you know, it's like, of course, we talked about the the fact that Byrne is currently an atheist, but he's actually done a, a couple Christmas stories over the years. Of course, you know, he had two two things here where he referenced Santa Claus here in, in, uh-huh. in issue eight, and he did the Red Baron story in the the DC Christmas uh, special. I'm trying to remember which one that is, and it was uh, I believe this was like an eight page silent story told pretty much in the same way as the many deaths of the Batman. Mm-hmm. 
And um, if I if I had that, I would definitely want to cover that here. But I don't have a copy of it. At least a uh, now I, I've got one actually in my in my stacks of books. But I haven't. Uh, my son has not finished his job, so I'm going to have to take over. Well, that's that's the thing. Digging digging comics out is, is a chore. Yeah. Um, is that Christmas with the Super Friends? Yeah, it's Christmas with the superheroes. Superheroes. That's super. Friends. Uh, I think it, I think it's number two. And uh, John Byrne does the pencil dart, and uh, is it Andy Kubert or Joe Kubert? I'm not sure which one does the inks. See, now I'm going to go to Mike's Amazing World and find out about that. Because that's that's a really good um, Christmas story, I think. Uh, I mean, it's basically it's World War One, and you've got uh, a medical facility for the, the, I guess, the Air Force. And one of the guys is talking about how, having seen the Red Baron and how cool he was. I mean, this is from the imagery. Mm-hmm. And then this other guy comes in and says, hey, he shot down all these guys. All those planes out there, he killed all them. And uh, as the night goes on, all of a sudden a plane lands. And it's actually the Red Baron himself, Baron von Richthofen. And he's got a whole bunch of stuff in his arm, champagne and food he wants to offer them. And share a Christmas meal with them. Well, I think there is a story. There is a, a story of them uh, in World War II of them calling kind of a general ceasefire during Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a there's a there's a song, Snipping Red Baron, that's about this kind of same story. Snoopy is going up against Red Baron, but then they kind of it's Christmas and they kind of um, set aside their differences and kind of sell land and, and ha- have a glass of wine or something together. So. Hmm. Can't think of the name of it. But, 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 but I was trying to think if there are any other burn Christmas stories. I mean, of course, the most famous one, and it's not really a Christmas story, it just takes place at Christmas, and that's Kitty Pride Against the Demon, X-Men 143. Yeah. Well, some of these may, and I wonder if this is, because this story took, this issue came out in December. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's obviously came out right about this time, so it was during Christmas. So I don't know if that's just burn wanting to... Um, but I think you can, I think you can believe in Christmas and not necessarily be religious. Yeah, no, so no, much that, religious that much. taken out. So, yeah, because it, it says it says on the cover, special holiday issue. Yeah. So did he come up with the story, or did he was he suggested to do a Christmas story? I guess that's the. I don't know. The question in the back. It's nice that they've got all their signatures on the very last page. Mm-hmm. What's it say? Um, our winter tale. Uh, and everybody signed it, which is nice. So I don't know. I don't know if maybe it was an editor's idea. Maybe the editor said, "Hey, why don't you do a Christmas story?" And he came up with this. I mean, did he always have? I mean, you would think that when he when he wrote issue eight, he would have this in mind. That would come. He knew that present that that you know he's not called Santa. He's called um, what, Saint Nick, Saint Christopher, or something. Yeah. Uh, when he gives her the present, that that would have to come back later. To resolve, and I don't know if this is his idea or if he just thought, "Here's an idea I can tie, you know, I can tie up a loose end from my previous run." So, hmm. my guess is, I bet somebody suggested he write a Christmas story, and this is what he came up with. I, I think he probably planned it all along with that that Santa story. He could have, he could have had it just, yeah. just, just when it fell, you know, he needed it to, you know, it was going to be because uh, you could do. It. I mean, it's 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 not. It wasn't often when the comics would would uh, reflect whatever season they were you know you wouldn't unlike tv shows like the like tv shows you'll get thanksgiving shows you'll get halloween shows you get christmas shows 
The comics, because that sliding timescale, you rarely get. It may be a Christmas issue. I guess that's the only one. I guess if you had a Christmas issue, it would probably come out at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I don't know, because there are some comics where they celebrate Christmas every year. I, I, I mean, if you read Daredevil in the, the 80s and the 90s, they were celebrating Christmas every year's. Every, every every year and it seemed like you know Foggy was always getting a gift for his buddy Porkchop Peterson <laughs> well in this one she mentions when, when Wheezy says hey you're present and he said and she says well that was like 25 issues ago Christmas has come and gone more than once and she says yeah but not in your book meaning uh, you know in the time actual time it's been two years but in her own book Christmas hadn't come yet so that's when she decides to go and uh grab the thing out, which I think is a kind of a cool little gimmick that it's in and I guess it's in any pocket that she when she has to mentally choose to pull it out. Yeah, to pull it out of her pocket. Yeah, yeah. any pocket uh, she's in she has to, I guess, right. be willing to, to grab it but all in all, it's pretty good. I mean, the, art, the artworks, you know, it's got some wonkiness in it some places. Like, like you said, the coloring and you know, we don't know if that's the recoloring that's the problem or if it originally looked that way um, uh Story's kind of fun to bring back some some of the Savage uh, She-Hulk characters. Uh, he has some fun with you know his fourth wall breaking, but overall, it's a, it was a it was a fun little story. Yeah, you know, I, I, as you were sitting there looking at that, I, I was trying to find if there was anything tying uh, on the Christmas issue of why he did that. But what I did find was a fan asked on this forum, you know, was the self-aware idea of the book an organic decision or was it more of a kick against the more structured serious format thing you were known known for at the time and he says it grew from Mark Grunewald wanting the book to be different hmm. di- different in quotes different. yeah and as far as you know how well did it, did it go over with the critics and fans um, he says there sure seemed to be an awful lot of people at the time who didn't get it not enough to hurt the sales, but enough to make Vern uh, himself wonder what would happen if that minority somehow became the majority. And now we know, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, again, I, 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 I've always enjoyed it. Um, it. It did give me something to think about this time around that I hadn't considered back then. And that's more age and experience and the mm-hmm. experience of the times that we're living in. Well, and you, um, you're a parent, too. and Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I, I saw X-Men 2. Yeah. You know. <laughs> uh, looking forward to Aquaman yep. coming up here very soon. Um, hopefully we'll get something out. On, you don't mind me jumping on to what may be coming up soon, do no, you? No, 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 go ahead. Cool. Uh, and as a special treat to a couple of our listeners, we are probably going to give uh, some assignments out and bring a couple of our listeners on the show to uh, help us present a book or two. And I'm talking to you, John, and I'm talking to you, uh, David. Kind of uh, let them, give them the uh, the reins, and we're going to kind of sit back and... and... And we'll tell them what they did wrong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That'll be well, fun. That, I, yeah. I like that. I mean, we're the seasoned pros at this now, aren't we? I hope so. We've been doing I, it long enough. I mean, I mean, if you look at our, our uh, episode count, we're like, God, these guys just got started, but because there are people that, you know, have hundreds of episodes under their belt but yeah but I think, these, I think, those are the people that that put out an episode a week and if you know like j david weeder he used to put one out every 36 hours yeah i, I mean I, I don't i can't i don't know how people i honestly don't know how people do that 
I, I, I still don't know how Michael, Michael Bailey does what he does because he's putting out episodes all the time. He's blogging. He's he's on Facebook all the time too. And I'm just yeah, you, you you wonder how these people do this and and maintain a life because I I know I'm having a hard time <laughs> hard time. But I've got some 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 uh, other things that I'm that I want to work on. And every time I seem to get started, something interrupts me. I'm glad that we got together to do this. Um, of course, you know there there are things that we want to get done here down the road. Um, do you have any issues that you want to you you definitely want to cover here in the next couple months? No, I, I talked about covering his last, or I guess in this case would be his latest New Visions uh, mm-hmm. stuff. We've we never got to Blood of the Demon. I'm really kind of itching to get into that because I've never read those. Uh, some Alpha Flight. We haven't covered any Alpha Flight. No, but, but you know, the thing is, since we have an X-Men movie coming up, Dark Phoenix, I think that we may want to go ahead and look at the Dark Phoenix saga. Each of us may maybe pick an issue leading up to it mm-hmm. and um, going over one aspect or another. And I think we, that we should you know, try to focus in on the Phoenix itself, uh, you know, not necessarily that final story. I mean, that would actually be an epic to cover. Maybe we could get David or John to do it. I don't know. Yeah. But, <laughs> well, that's, that's what's but, funny about the Dark Phoenix because it kind of ends and then it ends. To me, it kind of ends when uh, the she are, you know, she loses, kind of loses her power. And it kind of ends that night at the Hellfire Club and that ends. And then it goes on for like, is it an issue or two where they're on the moon and then they have know, to go through the whole thing? You do make a good point because, I mean, she's Phoenix for a good while. Yeah. Before she actually becomes Dark Phoenix, and she's only Dark Phoenix for really two issues. Yeah, you know, and they can they. Well, in, in that case, since we do have Dark Phoenix coming up, we need we should. Pro, uh, well, we weren't going to cover that. We keep talk. We keep teasing people by covering Days of Future Past as a commentary. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it, it, it's a matter of you and me being able to carve an, out enough time to get together yeah, to do it, yeah, and sit down and watch it. I, I elect that we do it at your house. That's fine. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's that's not uh, We talked about possibly covering some of the '90s cartoon. Yes, take some that of the bird. That would be a lot of fun stuff. And because uh, I haven't, I honestly didn't watch that really. I watched at it. I didn't really watch it. So uh, I'm not really familiar with that as much as other people. I was I was watching Spider Man instead. But uh, well, I'll say that I'll say this: they they did the Phoenix Saga in two different um, ser- miniseries. They did uh, the first Phoenix Saga where they go in with the Shi'ar and the McCran Crystal and all that, and that was really really interesting. You get to see all those characters, and then they did the Dark Phoenix Saga later, mm-hmm. and. I don't know. The Dark Phoenix saga, when they handled it, kind of left me wanting a little bit. You know, I just didn't – because they didn't have the same characters, you know. Yeah. Colossus wasn't really even a member of the team uh, in that. To me, he's an essential character to that part of the continuity. Well, and that's that's the problem the movies have, that they're trying to tell stories with people that they're not using the same characters that were in the story. And because they started out in the first X-Men with kind of – well, let's just pick these popular people. Uh, mm-hmm. Then they introduce. You, but you have to admit they made Mystique popular. Oh, absolutely. They they made the, the movies made Mystique more popular than any she ever would have been in the comic books up to oh, that yeah, point. Oh yeah, she was a. I mean, I would. She was a secondary, you know, tertiary character at least. But uh, and I wasn't necessarily happy with what you know what they did with her uh, in the movies. But uh, you know, that's that's the movies. So 
Yeah. Well, you got any final uh, final thoughts on this uh, this little uh, holiday gym we just covered? No, I enjoyed it. I, yeah, and I liked it. As always, I enjoy talking with you. And this one's got, uh, you know, like a double wonderful thing in that I don't have to edit it. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, uh, I, I don't get anything else left here. I don't have anything so. else either. <laughs> All right. Well, you want to take us out? Yeah. Uh, for Third Degree Burn, uh, I am Tim Elliott. And I am Brian Hughes. And you're not. That's Brian Sugar Lips Hughes. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to get away from that. Nope. It's going to be all over the internet. (laughs) Good night, everyone. (laughs) Good night. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three... R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but it really helps support the shows. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Alright, I'll be mad.